Welcome to Learning with Lowell. I'm your host, Lowell Thompson. We cover biotech and science-related topics on this show, such as startups working on antibiotic drugs or colon cancer, to venture capitalists talking about funding and how that worked, to people talking about how they and you could found a science-backed startup. Two, and this is one of my favorite parts, people talking about science, specific science-related topics such as whales or protein engineering. You're really going to get a lot, and it's all going to be about science on this podcast. Today, we are joined by Natalie, the CEO, and Katia, the CSO of Encelo, which is dedicated to creating better ways to facilitate personalized medicine. So when you're going to get a drug or you have an illness or something like that, they can test you using their technology to have a better sense of the drugs you would be more sensitive to or not sensitive to. So it's a more personalized method for receiving treatment, which is really key because we're all different. So having that personalized approach is going to make it so when you are ill, you can get better as quicker as possible and have a much higher quality treatment. In this episode, you're going to learn about that, like how they're developing this new technology, using urine of all things to get these really high quality samples that will be or end up being as effective as if you were to take a straight tissue sample from your kidney, for instance. So in this episode, you're going to learn about Natalie and Katya, what they've developed, how they developed it, their thoughts on investing, the different struggles they've gone through, how the technology works, what, how long until... They have something that's going to be in researchers and pharmaceuticals' hands. And you get to really get a great sense of who they are, their startup journey, and their technology, which I really enjoyed. This was a fun conversation. I hope all of you enjoyed as well. Please let me know what you think, and let's get into this. Main purpose of Encello? How do you even say it? Like, I'm bad at names. Encello? Encello? Encello. There you go. First first guess like what's the the main purpose and so so we're trying to use a completely new source of cells which hasn't been really explored before um and this is urine so it's a bit unusual i think it has a lot of potential this source uh it's not very convenient to work with but we are trying to change it so that more people could uh, work with this type of you know biofluid why why that fluid over anything else i know we used to i think we have like henrietta Lacks's immortal cells and stuff that we tend to use but why, why? what made you feel like this medium would be better? Well, so Henrietta Lacks cells, uh, yes, the most widely used uh, cell type uh, all over the world. Oh. And I think she's, uh, if you weigh all the mass of the cells that has been used in research, I think it's more than the whole population of Europe. So it's quite a, you know, amount of cells uh, that has been used. So these cells, so the cells from Henrietta Lacks don't really tell you anything about you or me because uh, she's a completely different person. And no two people are alike. And plus, her cells, they're, they're, they're cancer cells. So the, the information that we get from those cells is useful, but um, it, 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 they don't tell us everything, especially tell us about, you know, uniqueness of each person and how we differ, you know, in response to drugs or how we acquire diseases. So now that we're moving towards a personalized approach to medicine and trying to understand the differences between people, we need to be able to access cells from individuals to understand those differences. So the advantage of something like urine is that it's completely non-invasive. So we could potentially access cells from anyone just by having them pee in a cup. So that's why we're developing this tool in particular to be able to access those cells from urine so that researchers can have the correct tools to do their research. How do you normally harvest cells? Is it just like drawing blood or how do you do it? 
Uh, there are tons of methods for harvesting cells, but as you can imagine, they're quite invasive because our cells are within our body. So yeah, harvesting is on the non-invasive end, but you can also, if you're studying the kidney, you'd have to have a kidney biopsy, which is very unpleasant and quite a risky procedure. That's the current method of getting cells from one person on demand, or you could wait for failed transplant or a surgery to happen and get excess tissue that way. But obviously it doesn't allow you to do research when you want it with the particular person you want. Is it as good? Like if, if I were to take a sample from my kidney and then when you guys have the technology developed to the standard you want it, will it be equal to each other or will, the, will there be one that's slightly better or worse? So the biggest challenge that we are facing is the number of cells. We, we don't uh, really have, you know, crazy amounts of cells in, in urine. But the challenge there is to multiply them in the lab. It's very normal for cells to kind of react to this artificial environment by stop multiplying. So this is the major issue. But, you know, some things that have been science fiction yesterday now is a commonplace. So if we solve this problem and we're going to get the cell numbers needed for experiments, then these cells are as good as the ones that you get from kidney tissue. That's awesome. Especially since you don't have to poke a hole in someone to get it. That's really neat. I like that. Taking a step back, why did the two of you choose to build this? Presumably, you could be like accountants or something. But so like, why did you choose to develop a company over getting going into academia or something? Or like, I don't know what your other uh, route in life would have been, but why did you choose to build a company? Yeah, so this idea uh, kind of came from my PhD research. Uh, I was studying these cells and I was studying particular uh, rare disease patients. And that was a way for us to get these cells and to see if we can tell something about their disease because the disease is poorly understood. But because I encountered the, the fact that the method was so inefficient, um, so old-fashioned, and I think something, I thought something should be done about it. So I, I left, uh, I finished my PhD. And after we, Natalie and I, we met in this incubator space, um, scientific incubator where people from different disciplines come together and try to solve different uh, challenges. And after working on many projects, we decided we're going to um, concentrate on this one, uh, build the company, and then we got funding and uh, he here we are. What was the incubator? Was it Deep Science Ventures or was it Rebel Bio? We met at Deep Science Ventures and the why we were both there in the first place is that there are so many problems that still need to be tackled in the world, obviously, but also in academia. But you can't really do it from within academia, it seems. You kind of have to leave that and be able to meet different people from different disciplines. So we both kind of wanted to be able to solve problems, you know, in the real world. And if you want meeting there, led us to these multidisciplinary collaborations and to actually do something, which is very satisfying to be able to actually build something from nothing, which is what is driving us to continue. How much time has it been since you started? Like, like let's say, like the first meeting at DSV to where you are now, like how much time has elapsed about? Well, we started DSV almost a year ago. It was in June in 2017. And we both worked on different projects separately at first. So we started working on this project together in October, late September. All right, so about a year. And if you were to like guesstimate how long it would take before you guys know if it's going to work out, if you can like propagate the cells appropriately, like how much more time do you think you'll need before like you have the results to know that that's going to work out? So I think before we, we're going to have our the product that is more or less functioning, I think we need at least a year. So it's mostly science and uh, it's a bit difficult to speed it up because we're dealing with the human cells, uh, which are 
the natural. So they divide at a certain rate. Uh, sometimes uh, they don't grow, you know, you encounter all these problems. So we think it's about a year until we know that the idea that we have and the custom that we have uh, can, can be actually made into a, a product that, that is functioning. That makes sense. What were some of your biggest hurdles in, in forming the company? Because I assume this is your first one, right? Like you guys, these are not serial entre- entrepreneurs yet, right? No, this is our first proper company. So what were some of the big hurdles? I think it was very surprising to us because we are scientists. So when we communicate this idea and the concept about cells, sometimes people kind of perceive it as something very alien to them, although it's such a foundation of biology. So when we were talking to investors, uh, we really had to make the science super simple. So I think that was quite challenging because you think this is such an obvious thing. You know, we are made of cells, cells are important. Uh, but yeah, communicating this idea, scientific idea to people who do not necessarily have background in science was a bit uh, difficult. Yeah. And another thing coming from science is that we're taught to present uncertainty in a certain way. So if we think something will work, we say like, oh, it might work, but it might not. Like we, we always caveat it with potential reasons why it might not. That's just how you usually communicate in science. Whereas in business, you kind of say things in a very certain way as if you know for sure. So if you start talking with uncertainty, people perceive it as a sign of weakness and your project as one that won't work, even though it's just that that's how you communicate in science. So having to learn to communicate in a completely different way was quite difficult in the beginning. Yeah, apparently there's a lot of, especially for Americans, that we're very, I don't know, bold would be probably like the nice way to describe how we talk to people, or at least in an investor setting out. There's a good conference from that YC set up where like they talk about like the difference what the different ways that people talk and apparently like the way European people talk to investors is different than how Americans do it and it can be kind of like detrimental if you don't know how to do it like you're saying so how did you overcome like what what did you like have a mentor that kind of like pointed you in the right direction or was it just a lot of trial and error it's mostly trial and error and trying to remember that there is that difference so we just have to tell ourselves what would a successful person do and and just do that be a bit bolder in our claims essentially or in the way that we talk in general what's the boldest claim that you make well i think we're saying that the- Select the cells from anyone. I think potentially, yes, these cells will be found in any person, but it's kind of slightly unexplored topic. So maybe that's probably is, is bold to say that we can get the cells from just anyone, anywhere. Yeah. Although like there has been, there's something backing that in that when Katya and other people did their research, they had to use obviously the disease patient that they were studying, but also controls. So we know that we can grow cells from controls, although it is a bit more difficult. Um, And we know that we can collect the cells, at least from controls. And some people are actually only interested in collecting the cells without growing them. So in that regards, it's definitely a truthful claim. Comes to growing the cells from controls to big numbers, that's something that we'll need to explore a bit more. But there is believe that it would work. It's just for us as scientists, it's a bit of a, a, yeah, a stretch well, it makes sense. Like you're kind of taught through your PhD to be very precise and account for all the variables. So I could see how that would be difficult. Where in business, it's, I mean, it's similar, but it's dissimilar. I know exactly what you're talking about. So is it the team? Is it just you two? Or are there, do you have advisors or people who are like around to help out? Or is it just the two of you? So we do have academic advisors for quite senior uh, people in two different universities. So yes, we do have regular conversations with them to to, you know, just um, discuss some ideas that we have and directions. So, yeah, that, that is useful. And then we also 
have our accelerator program, Rebel Bio, which can always be contacted if we have questions about business or finance or whatever. They're always there to help us out if we need to. Do you have any frequently asked questions that you two tend to bump up against? Like, oh, how does this work or, or something that you'd like to share? From investors? Uh, I mean, in the entire process. Like, if, if, if um, I, I guess, yeah, from a sense, like if investors are asking similar questions, but I was thinking in the sense that questions that you two have when you're going through this, like, oh, how does this work or this work? And you ask people for advice or suggestions. I'm just curious if there's like a frequent like topic types that you have asked about. And then kind of curious about your answers, if that makes sense. Or I can explain it in a different way. Um, yeah. Do you mean questions that we ask or that we get? Asked? We ask the first one. Um, I would say the thing that we ask ourselves the most, at least, is what's the best direction for our business? Because no one tells you like there's so many options for every single business and it's all about strategy and deciding on what is the best option when there are multiple good options that's quite difficult so we try and ask people but obviously they don't know our business as well as we do so we have to also take their advice with a salt and get conflicting advice all the time so that's been something that we've been asking ourselves at least how do you differentiate or how do you kind of like synthesize the advice in a way where you're not kind of letting it drive you and like kind of keep the agency of running your company you know like someone says oh go left and you're like i don't know if left's the right move and you know, maybe you go like a meandering right or something i don't know you like you use it to inform your decision but like is there do you have any thoughts on how to kind of like take the advice in and then make the right decision at the same time like weigh those things i think we've definitely been thrown off by people's advice occasionally where we're actually like oh should we go left but in the end we we think about it if it sounds like something we should think about we definitely take the time to think about it but in the end we spend a lot of time just the two of us talking it through and and seeing if their advice makes sense in the context of our business or not so even if we're thrown off initially then it's more about regrouping the two of us and talking about it when you think someone gives you like advice that's kind of like oh maybe not within the realm that you were considering do you think that they don't necessarily see what you're trying to do or do they like why do you think they do that because i I assume they want to be helpful but then if it's like you want to make it to mars and then they say go to pluto that's kind of a big difference you know so like i think the only measure that the investors have for whether or not your business is successful is uh, purely financial so if you are expected to make a lot of money, that means a great idea and uh, awesome tools and everything is great. But I think we also look at it in addition to making money, we also want to make a difference. So we have a certain strategy that we think is going to benefit to, for example, a research community, which is often overlooked by investors because it's a very small market. But these are the, the researchers are the ones who actually make a difference in, in this world. And that's where basic science etc so we think if we're going to build something that is going to be used by researchers it's a it's extremely um uh, rewarding yes it's extremely rewarding but on the other hand if we're going to for example serve a pharmaceutical company uh, then maybe you know we are not going to get the same type of satisfaction that you know we are making a huge difference to the world I think that's the difference. So the advice that we get is purely, you know, you have to go uh, somewhere where you're certainly going to make a lot of money and kind of forget about the rest. But we have to be true to ourselves because this is the area where we are coming from. And um, um, yeah, it's kind of a bit difficult to to build something in academia. Yeah. And on top of that, we also know the science better because we've been looking at it and have the contacts and got to do the PhD in it. So we know a bit more about the environment. 
uh, surrounding this. And if they give us advice of doing like the second step in our mind, instead of doing the first one, we see that we need the first one to get to the second one in terms of science. Even if we try to explain it to them, they don't necessarily see all the subtle differences that we see. Uh, and it takes a while to to hammer it down because I think investors are very used to people claiming they can do certain things and making it sound a lot easier than it is. And if you tell them, well, no, actually, it's going to take time because we have to do X, Y and Z, then they'll be like, oh, forget about that. Just do step two. Uh, you have to that it's a process and that we want to do things in a certain order because it makes sense in terms of science and in terms of market and our customers, et cetera. Have you found there to be... A, like a difference in the a, a previous guest I had on here said there's like three investor types and where one is basically the investor type you want because they're going to get like you're trying to build something unique that'll change the world and they're they get like you're not going to have solid numbers so if, with all all the investors you've spoken to have you like thought about them and seen if there's some type of they fall into some type of hierarchy of, of what like on a spectrum of people who are most getting what you're saying to not getting what you're saying and if there's any key characteristics there I think all the investors we spoke to, the ones that connected the most with our product were ones that kind of got the science and the benefit of it. But in spite of that, they just all wanted to see the big numbers. <laughs> so it didn't really matter if it was going to change the world. It was more, okay, well, will it get me money doing it? Which I guess is their business to be fair. And like, that's why they're investing. But it's kind of frustrating sometimes. Have you, have you only pitched to people in the UK region or have you pitched Americans and stuff? We talk to a few VC firms that are based in U.S. mostly, uh, but we also talk to U.K. as we're based here. The ones we spoke to, I didn't really notice a difference. So what's like a day in the life at the lab? And also, what, what type of lab do you guys have? Like, like to me, I, I don't know that much about. So, like, I'm kind of curious, like, how do they actually, like, what does yours look like? And what do you guys do every day? Uh, yes, yeah, so we have a lab which is part of a university. Uh, it's a cell culture lab. So it's a very clean environment uh, because you have to, uh, so, so, so if any, even the smallest bacteria is going to get into our cells, uh, they're not going to be happy. So <laughs> we work with special kind of cabinets where, so you, you, you put a lab coat, uh, gloves, and then uh, there is like a gloss. So you, you manipulate, you do manipulations with cells uh, behind this kind of gloss. And then you, you, you put your cells into a special incubator, uh, which has a certain temperature. So yeah, it's kind of like a very clean uh, room where we do things uh, with cells. Yeah, so we spend some days there uh, growing our cells and other days doing business stuff. So in that case, we usually work from either co-working spaces or from home, uh, you know, just typical entrepreneur thing, spending all day on your laptop. <laughs> if you were like percentage out how you spend your time, how would you, like, how would it look? Like it's like 30% in the lab, 30% doing business. 30% doing miscellaneous stuff that you didn't see coming. Like, how how would it break out for the two of you? Maybe. Well, a lab is kind of every 20%. day. Yeah, a few hours every day. Uh, business is uh, ongoing. So we are constantly either doing the deck or thinking how about, like, our strategy or we're applying for grants. Right now we're writing a grant. Uh, I think we, we don't have, like, this uh, percentage split. It just, we just things we have to do and we're doing them. And meeting. Plan meetings, random meetings, <laughs> a lot of meetings, phone calls. Yeah, that we weren't really comfortable with at the very beginning, but you have to get comfortable with it very fast, talking to random people. Well, right, it's like, it's always a no until you ask. And then if, like, the worst case scenario is what, they're going to be, like, rude to you or something? You can hang up, you know? like um, 
Presumably. Hopefully you do not get mean people. I always hope, you know, especially when you're building something that you get a little bit more kindness. And some people who just weren't interested and were like, oh, this isn't what I thought it would be. I guess there's no point in us talking. Like, okay, bye. <laughs> I would imagine asking what about it led them to believe that it was worth their time and then figuring out what about it made them feel like it wasn't. And then you can kind of screen people out much better and like how you have your content up on your website and stuff. Yeah, refine that sales funnel <laughs> so you don't waste your time with a phone call. What are your next big steps that you're going to be working on? I, I, you said like about a year before you have something that could, could be helpful or at least to have like good results. So what's the next or how do you, or a different version of that question would be how do you structure your decisions and what you're going to be doing? Because right, like, like you said earlier, you can have all these advice and all these different options. So I'm curious to learn what what path are you charting forward and what's that look like? Our goal is to get to the product that we can sell, which, as we said, would take a year. So in order for us to do that, we'll need funding, um, which is just, you know, the reality of research and business. So you need money to make money, I guess. And since we're going to run out of money fast, as always, we need to find funders. And we know that to get funding, then we need to have some results. So that's kind of how we prioritize it. We know we need a bit more data with our science. And at the same time, we need to build the connections with potential investors or grants or whatever the funding is. And uh, while we have these conversations going, gather the data. So the next big thing is is trying to get more money, essentially, which I guess is what the entrepreneur always says. <laughs> <laughs> Working on the moment. So we have a few meetings lined up and uh, yeah, the data at the same time. How does that look? What is the actual process of asking people for money? What does it actually look like when you, when you go from finding someone who you might pitch to to like walking through the door like developing, you know, developing the pitch deck. Like, what does that, what does it actually look like? And I imagine it's kind of nerve wracking, but yeah, I'm kind of curious, like what the process is. So the process is you find a potential investor by either like finding a company that's similar to you that they might invest it in or just, you know, Googling people or through word of mouth or whatever. So you find a potential investor, you look them up, um, you contact them. Although usually we had someone in between. So we had a, a warm introduction. So, but uh, yeah, if you're going down a cold introduction route, you'd find them online and then you'd send them an email saying why you think they'd be a good fit for you and you usually send them some sort of material. So this is usually a one page description of your business with some key facts about it and some money information, some market information, product, contact, etc. And then if they're interested, either they ask for your deck before or after a meeting, but you want to get to the meeting as fast as possible because it's much easier to convince someone face-to-face -face or on a phone call than just through some papers. But at some point, they'll want a deck. And the deck is essentially just your business written down or with pictures to illustrate it to make the strongest case for your business. The meetings, so far, the meetings we had were introductions from Rebel Bio who helped us meet these investors. And they came in and we just kind of walked them through a business. And then they asked questions about the market, the financials different, whatever interests them, the science sometimes. And then that's when you find out that sometimes people aren't the right investors for you because they don't know what a sell is, for example. So it's going to be quite difficult to <laughs> convince them. But sometimes they get it. And then you, you talk about the business a bit more. Now I feel like maybe I don't know what a sell is. Surprised me a bit in biotech that people didn't know. But you know, you can't expect everyone to have the same knowledge, I guess. How would you describe the other person's greatest strengths or weaknesses? When you think of, hey, this is my co-founder, co and they do these things. You're like, I'm really proud of these things. What are the things that you're proud of? So Natalie is really good in organizing. She she can plan and she can execute the plans. So I'm very, very kind of comfortable and relaxed because I kind of have this uh, 
almost like security feeling that everything's going to be fine because Natalie kind of planned it and uh, she knows the financials and she knows the numbers and she knows how much money we have left and whether or not we can spend it on something. So for me, it's a, it's a kind of very good feeling. I, I don't stress about uh, this thing. So yeah, I think that's Natalie. Very rational. She's very, she's very smart as well. Very smart. <laughs> Just blushing here. Um, <laughs> I'd say... Katya is also very smart, and that's why we get along, because uh, we're able to talk about all all sorts of things related to the business or not. And she's very good at explaining the science behind it, and she's very good at seeing the big picture. So she'll always be, but what if we do this and this and all these exciting things and seeing how we can change the world? So that really drives us in terms of business. Um, and also very good at communicating with potential clients, which a lot of them are academics uh, or pharma and making it sound our business super awesome. So that's really good because I'm not as good as communicating. <laughs> is there missing from your team? Like, is there any skill sets or experiences that you need or that you're looking to bring aboard in the next year or so to make the process go by quicker and much more effective? Or are, is this like the team? Are you are you, are you two the dream team and you're going to push through this together? Or are you looking to find other people? So we think, so my background is in biology. Natalie's background is in chemistry. So at the end, we're going to build this device, which is a physical thing. And it's going to operate on some, you know, principle of physics. So I think we're lacking a, a physicist or someone who's good with maths or uh, making things um, an engineer so we'll either bring him um, as a maybe freelancer type of um, person or maybe we'll incorporate him into our team so yeah but this is something that we, we can't really do yeah and it, it sounds like it'd be about a year out before you you'd you know be having to make that decision so you have some time to like think and like do the hiring process which is like it can be very tricky because if you do the wrong choice i guess it's kind of like any choice you make well there's like this great i don't know this is not a great quote but i think about it sometimes when i'm driving where in the United States, at least, because we have a really crappy healthcare system, a, weird, a, a saying that goes, you're exactly one accident away from being homeless. I've, I've been thinking about it the last couple of weeks when I'm driving with my girlfriend. And so, but like, how do you, like, I imagine you you two feel the same way sometimes. Where it's like, oh, if we make the wrong decision, you know, you're only a, a few bad decisions away from making like irreparable decisions. So like, do you, do you have like a good process for walking through stuff? Do you like do like a dry erase board of like all the options and you kind of like talk through them and do like different analyses or you just kind of like sit down have coffee and walk through it in a much more relaxed way or i'm kind of curious like what that process is to overcome that fear and concern it can be daunting because you know the the all the opportunities are out there and then you you have to make the decision so sometimes we we find ourselves being indecisive so um and then i think like this quote that that we have that uh, bad decision is better than no decision was mathematically proven that even a bad decision is better than than not deciding to do something, even if it's going to be not the best decision. So have this kind of philosophy that we just have to do something, <laughs> you know, instead of what could we be doing. So yes, starting doing something and um, doing stuff instead of um, fantasizing. Yeah, and we do a mix of the all out, write down all the options and obsess over it and just then sleep on it and then rationally just talk about it and we usually play devil's advocate for the other side and and just talk through it very rationally but also more i guess not emotionally but what fits within our interests and um and the business we want to build are there businesses out there that you use as inspiration or to emulate from I think since we're so early in our process, we don't have 
a clear cut path just by virtue of there are so many paths. So we're always, you know, clearing ahead and deciding what a path is going to be. Um, but so we can't really say we're going to be like a certain company or another. But then while we were looking into this space, there were a few companies that really intrigued me that were looking at um, large scale collection of samples from people. So there was this one company called Origin in the US that was going to do the largest uh, blood bank and using it to um, discover biomarkers of disease. But in the end, it completely pivoted to another kind of 23andMe company, um, which was kind of disappointing. <laughs> and then there was another one called Berg, um, which is a pharma, I guess, because they they end up having a pipeline of products. And the way they conduct their business was quite interesting. It was very scientific, in my opinion, compared to other pharmaceutical companies where they just gather loads of data. I think it was trillions of data points from tissue samples, from biobanks and uh, different collaborations they have. And then they gather data and find potential targets for drugs. And I thought that was really interesting, the way they approach business. So we kind of want to have a business in the end that would be very rational and scientific because we're very aware of that with our technology, we could access cells from anyone, as we like to claim. And we could probably find super interesting information in that data. So we want to do something with it in the long run. So that's kind of what inspires us for the longer run, kind of. And I think uh, the model that doesn't really exist yet uh, anywhere. So, you know, like the whole research, even Henrietta Lacks story. So her cells, without her consent, were used to... Uh, patent thousands of different things, uh, develop drugs and vaccines. So in this process of drug discovery um, and research, um, the donor who the cells are coming from, uh, he's completely out of the picture. So he'll never know what uh, discoveries uh, those particular cells ha has uh, led to. So right now, currently, all these biobanks that um, uh, store a lot of uh, samples for research, um, uh, it, th there is uh, really no connection with, with donors. And we think that maybe uh, in the future there'll be a completely different model where uh, people, normal people, participate um, quite actively in this research and they, they know that, for example, something was discovered about their cells that helped uh, that and that. So, of course, there is an issue of um, um, anonymity, um, which is linked to, to you know, this um, um, working with patient-specific or people-specific uh, cell lines. But maybe, uh, so we're kind of like trying to feel if there is any model that we can uh, operate that would incorporate patients on a more active basis. And I think it's very, very interesting for people, even um, also to go as far as to kind of benefit from this research that um, or information that um, people's cells can uh, provide to uh, research. More than what we've talked about so far, is there like, is there like, how does the process work of like trying to because you, you talked about how there's like this like plastic little like you see them in movies where there's like a little incubator thing. And I used to incubate eggs and like raise ducks and stuff. So I can kind of imagine that as an analogy to it. But how how does how do you like get something that's a liquid and then put it in a way that can be multiplied a lot? Does it stay in the liquid form or do you like take the water out of it to find the cells you want? Like how does that work? I'm kind of curious about it. So currently for us to get cells out of urine, we have to centrifuge the sample. So we put it in the tube. We put it in this machine and then we apply G-force and then, you know, cells um, after 10 minutes of uh, this process, cells end up on the bottom. And that's how we normally collect them. Uh, with the, our technology, a person will be able to just pee in a cup and uh, the cup does uh, the job of kind of, you know, all that is necessary for cells to be happy uh, and alive. 
So also with the old process, um, you have to centrifuge the sample as soon as possible. You can't really, um, you know, put put a sample of uh, your urine on a shelf and then, um, um, you know, do something with it later because it has a very limited time uh, where you can um, do something with the cells. So also our cup uh, will be able to kind of preserve the cells so that we can ship them. So currently it's not possible. You can't really send your sample for your cells to be um, extracted from it. It has to happen very uh, rapidly. So uh, the cup that we are developing is just like a cup. You pee and does the magic. And the cells are happy and can be uh, shipped to the lab for downstream processing. So yes, and, um, just um, uh, when you're working with cells, you, they grow on these plates. Um, um, then you have to feed your cells. Uh, kind of, you're trying to mimic the situation in your body where uh, our cells and our body is constantly supplied with nutrients um, and uh, oxygen um, and things like that. So we, we're kind of trying to do the same. Um, in the lab to trick them into thinking that they're still kind of in the body. So yeah, and then then, then they multiply and uh, grow. When when it comes to the, the technology for the cup, have you thought about to drug screening like at like a like a workplace where they're like, hey, we want to make sure you're not doing the the cocaine, so we're going to screen you. I think they already have the technology they need for that because they're just looking at markers in your urine. They don't really the cells for that purpose. Um, but that being said, when people are developing new drugs, not cocaine stuff, I mean like pharmaceutical medical drugs, they need to test their safety and their efficacy on cells. And they also use animals and things, but they also need to check on human cells. So in that case, they could be interested in, in our cup to be able to access the cells or in cell lines directly if they're not interested in growing cells. Uh, so we've been talking to a few pharmaceutical companies who do seem interested, uh, for various purposes. Some are interested to, actually just not even grow the cells, but just look at them and try and discover interesting things about them. Yeah, so for example, it will be possible to detect uh, cocaine in uh, in your urine. And I think that like there'll be a special test and easy easy test to do that. But uh, what those tests don't do, um, they're not going to tell you what's going to happen to your cells, for example, if you add cocaine. And so cells, they provide this um, um, information that is not uh, otherwise possible to, to get. So, um, well, cocaine aside, like there are drugs that uh, people are going to react differently. So what we can do with our cells, we can, for example, collect cells from 100 people um, and test one particular drug that we know some people have adverse reactions to, but we don't really understand why. And then we identify these people who would 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 have bad reaction to a particular drug and then prevent this um, from happening. That's awesome. I... I was in the hospital a couple of years ago, and they kept giving me the wrong type of drugs, and I was having like horrible reactions. So I, I like the idea that that would potentially not be a thing, because I, I did not like that. <laughs> so that's really smart. Have there been any companies that are or people that have been like, yeah, I want to like attach onto that, or is it just kind of like pharmaceutical companies in general, like with the cup stuff, that are like, hey, yeah, we like this, and get it done so we can play with it? Well, I think the problem is that this model is not really established. Nobody is really doing this uh, type of collection on a, a large scale. Uh, there is uh, not one like really good test, uh, informative test that's going to uh, do predict this type of things with uh, a lot of certainty. So a lot of people around the world are trying to do that, but uh, there are no good models uh, to do that in terms of cells. So cells are a bit like random and the sources are quite random. So we think if we're going to ha have this platform, uh, we're going to build these uh, tools that we can generate these large libraries of um, individual cells who are still alive and well, then we can generate all this information that will help 
um, you know, predict these adverse reactions that um, are, yes, a, a big issue. Currently, the way, so there is a, um, a direction of pharmacogenomics, uh, which is uh, fairly new, but um, it's growing. Uh, when we know that particular genetics um, are associated with particular reactions, mostly it's to do with the liver. So what we learn about them kind of post-factum when something bad already happened to a person and then people start sequencing and um, uh, develop, um, unravel uh, correlations. So that's how we uh, learn about these things when when these adverse reactions have already happened. I look forward to seeing you all develop in the next year and, and having something that can really help people. Is like, is there a good way for people to follow along and like watch your journey? I don't know. It would be really cool if you had like a newsletter or something, because I'd, I'd love to have an easy way to keep in touch other than like poking you every three months and be like, how's it going? Tell me how it's going. So, yeah. But for people who are listening, is there a good way to follow along and see how things develop? I think down the line, when we um, are done with our fundraising and really grow our business, we'll have something like a newsletter and update our website more regularly and our social media. So for now, you can go to a website and see if it changes. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, but down the line, a newsletter would definitely make sense. How much money? How much money do you need to get it to that point? Do you like you know, or is it like do you have a guesstimate? Stage, which would be developing this cup, we're looking for 350,000 pounds. That would allow us to get to a point where we have a functioning cup that we've tested with our first customers. And then to do the toxicology prediction, that would be another amount that we haven't worked out in detail yet because that's further down the line. Have you have any customers given any interest in getting early access and then paying a little bit up front? Because I know there, there's a number of examples I don't know if there's any examples in the biotech, but I know of examples in other industries where people will pay a little extra so that they can be like the first people to play with it. And then they get like a reduced rate for, for like the next couple of years. But then you have the extra money to play with when it comes to building it. Has anyone ever done anything like that or, or suggested they'd like to do that? So our first adapters are going to be academics. And um, it works a bit different in academia because they rely on grants. So in them to have our product, they would have to receive money first from for, from a grant. Um, so yeah, yeah, and for that, for them to convince um, a funding body to to give them money, they have to show that the product already exists. So it's a bit it's a bit long process in academia. We we also have this pharmaceutical company that is interested, and maybe something's gonna happen uh, there. I like the I like the personalized medicine, especially with like the DNA tools and stuff we have coming out nowadays. Being able to get that specificity is just going to be really crazy in the next couple of years. What's well, also is that with all these genetics and uh, boom in genetics, uh, people think that we understand everything. So uh, if you're going to sequence your genome, you're going to know um, X, Y, and Z and what's going to happen to you in 20 years time and what kind of diseases you're going to have. But actually, the reality is that there are so many things we... And uh, like regular people who um, don't necessarily have um, background in science, it, it, it's a bit a surprise for them. But actually, the reality is there are so many things and plenty of genetic variants that we don't really know what they're doing. And big chunks of our genome are completely obscure as well. So, and also the combination of all of these things, it's just very, very complicated. That was Katya and Natalie, the CEO and CSO of, of Encello, a biotech startup. Oh, in the UK. Today we learned about how they developed their company themselves, their technology, and where they're going to be going in the, over the course of the next year to create something that's really going to impact personalized medicine to all of our betterment. So I hope everyone follows along, goes to their website, and lets me know what they thought about this episode. Thank you for joining us today with Learning with Lowell. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. We can be found on Twitter at Lowell Was Here, Facebook, and on the website 
learningwithlowell.com. Also sign up for the newsletter where you can hear amazing content every Monday, new episodes every Tuesday, and new blog posts around every Thursday. Remember to share and tell your friends. Please and thank you. (laughs) 